Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. You know, this month we've been focusing on the question, why did Christ come? Or what's, you know, the Christ of Christmas. What do we know about the Christ of Christmas? We've talked about how the Christ of Christmas is part of the Trinity. He's the second person of the Godhead. We discussed that on our first Sunday this month. Then we talked about how that Christ is not only part of the Trinity and part of the deity, but he is actually God in a very real sense. He is God uh, in, in, in all senses of the word. And then we found last week, as we looked at his humanity, not only is he God, but he became a man. And he lived among us and was just as human as we are, and yet he was fully God, something we can't fully understand, but we're grateful for that. Today we're going to be take a look, <clears throat> a closer look at the virgin birth of Christ. And this is something that's very significant. I believe it's <clears throat> absolutely crucial to our, our salvation, the virgin birth of Christ. And so as we look at this this morning, I want us to notice, first of all, that the uh, the virgin birth from God's perspective, very, very briefly. I won't go into this. There's not a lot said about this, but I want to comment on it before we dig into the virgin birth from our perspective or man's perspective. From God's perspective, God planned the virgin birth, obviously, from eternity past. And that's something that, you know, you stop and think about it. If you were to sit down and think, all right, how can I provide a way of salvation, to save those rotten little sinners that I created down there? How am I going to figure that out? What am I going to do to help them? Would any of us have come up with such a plan as this? Uh, Probably not. But God in his all-wise wisdom devised the virgin birth as his plan for his son to become a man through a virgin through the birth process to live amongst men for those 33 years. And he planned this in eternity past. We see just a glimpse of God's foresight in this in Genesis 3.15, where he's speaking there to Adam and Eve and how that the, the serpent would be crushed uh, below, beneath the, the offspring of the woman foreseeing way into the future when this would take place and Christ would be that one that would crush the serpent, the one who has caused us all this great grief. And so God saw all that in eternity past and God carefully planned and timed the events of this. You know, we we saw last week in Galatians 4, 4, that in the fullness of time, God brought forth his son. It was in God's perfect plan. You know, you sometimes wonder, why did God wait for 4,000 years after the creation? Why did he wait 4,000 years before he sent his Redeemer? There's a lot to ponder there. I don't know that I have a full answer for that. But God had a perfectly good reason for it. And part of it may have been to allow the human race, and I believe this is why dispensations is so important, because God allowed the human race to go through... uh, several dispensations where he's dealing with men in different perspectives and from a different way of uh, seeing things and showing them that no matter what you try to do, you can't fix your problem yourself. In innocence, Adam and Eve had no excuse. They were perfect. 
They, they, had, they were sinless, and, and they had no reason that they should have turned against God, but they chose to disobey. God gave them that free will. They chose to disobey, and as a result, plunged themselves and the human race into sin. And then we move into some of the other dispensations where God dealt with, them, with their conscience and through human government. And then when God gave them the law, and he spelled it all out. And you look at the Old Testament law and say, oh, boy, that's so harsh and so hard. And, but God was just laying it out and said, if you want to be perfect, then this is what you got to do. This, 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 and this. And they look at it and say, oh, that's too hard. And God says, exactly. That's what I need you to see, that you can't fix yourself. You can't solve your problem. You can't, by being good, you can't resolve your sinful nature and the sin problems. You know, every one of us, we know this to be true deep down inside. You can do something wrong yesterday, and today you can live like, as good as an angel, but it doesn't take care of yesterday's wrong at all. It just prevents more wrong today. And so it is. We can't solve our sin problem ourselves, and God wanted us to see that. So he allowed time to pass. So in the fullness of time, Christ came. It was in God's perfect time. And then it's interesting to ponder the related events. We'll be talking about some of those events today. But you just spend some time even later today pondering over the events that took place. God's planning of that, the prophecies of that. Isaiah prophesied of the coming of Christ through a virgin 700 years before Christ came. And we find other prophecies in the Old Testament. We see God worked all the events out. Uh, John the Baptist was born six months before Christ was born, just at a perfect time. And then, you know, that was a miracle in and of itself that God allowed this old woman to conceive and bear a child. And so John the Baptist is born miraculously. And then Mary is uh conceives of, of, of God and brings forth a child and the timing of that and then their, their trip to Bethlehem and the timing of that because God wanted his son born in Bethlehem and uh, the taxation and all these events. There's a lot of things about Christmas that if you spend some time pondering, God, God was a, a masterful creator of all these events that took place to bring it things to pass the way he wanted them. So that's just a quick glimpse at, at the virgin birth from, Christ, from God's perspective. But now let's take a look at it from man's perspective. There's a lot here for us to note. Here in Isaiah 7.14, we see here that uh, 700 years before Christ's birth, the prophet says, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give us you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That is amazing. From that time forth, faithful Jews were looking forward to the day when the Messiah would, be, would come to this world. And they were confused about it. They didn't really understand too much about it. Even in Jesus' day, one of the reasons Jesus was rejected by the religious people of his day was because they did not see that he was going to come as a humble, uh, humble not a shepherd, but a humble um, carpenter. They expected a king. They expected someone that's going to overthrow the Romans, set us free. 
And they were looking for a political Messiah rather than a spiritual Messiah. But there were faithful Jews who looked for and anticipated the Christ child. Tradition states that many Jewish young women would dream of the possibility that maybe they would be the one that would be chosen to bear the child. But yet, that only happened to one. Then we take a look at the conception of the virgin in Luke chapter 1. If you flip over in your Bibles there to Luke chapter 1 in the New Testament, Luke chapter 1, some amazing truths here in this passage that I want us to see. Luke chapter 1, and look at verse number 26. Luke chapter 1 and verse number 26. And in the sixth months, that's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, in the sixth months, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into the city of Galilee named Nazareth and uh, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. Of, uh, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou, shalt, uh, thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in the womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of it of Jacob forever and of the of his kingdom there shall be no end and Mary said unto the angel how shall these this be seeing I know not a man and the angel answered and said unto her the Holy Ghost shall come upon you and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee now therefore also the holy thing which shall be born in thee shall be called the son of God and behold thy cousin Elizabeth she is, hath conceived in the, a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. And for with God, nothing shall be impossible. And as you look at this, the actual virgin birth, there's several things I want to point out here that are important for us to note. God sent the angel Gabriel to speak to the virgin Mary. Now, if you look at her name in the original language, it's not Mary, it's Maria. All right? Her name is technically Maria. I don't know why the English translations translated it Mary, but it's Maria. Uh, but either way, it doesn't really matter, but that's just a, a little tip for you to hang on to. But uh, the, the Virgin Mary or Maria lived in Nazareth. Now, take a look at my map here. All right, so the it, nation of Israel... Uh, the, Nazareth was here in, in Galilee. It's about halfway from the Mediterranean Sea to Galilee. And uh, so that's a little town of Nazareth. And then they were going to be traveling down to Bethlehem down here just south of Jerusalem. All right. So that gives you a little bit of an idea of where they're at. And I'll mention it again in a moment here. But um, she lived in Nazareth in Galilee and she was engaged to be married to one Joseph. 
And uh, Joseph was a carpenter. And Edersheim, a, a, a historian that uh, was lived way back in the f- first century, I believe it was, um, Edersheim, this Jewish historian, said from, the, uh, from that moment, Mary was the betrothed, from that, that moment, Mary was betrothed wife of Joseph, and their relationship was sacred, as if they had already been wedded. Any breach of it was treated as adultery. Yet, months might intervene before the betrothal and marriage would take place. Right now, this is just an indication here that the betrothal time, when they got engaged, that was extremely, extremely binding. Right? It was a very sacred oath. Yeah, you know, we think of the marriage ceremony as the time when I promise to take care of you for the rest of my life and you know, and so many people don't even pay any attention to what they're saying and only last for six months and they break it off. But it's supposed to be a holy ceremony. But yet with the Jews, that really a lot of it took place at their engagement. And they were considered husband and wife from the moment they were engaged. But they were not married husband and wife. They were an engaged husband and wife. They were not to come together until their marriage ceremony was fulfilled. And there was to be no unfaithfulness during that time. And if there was any unfaithfulness during that engagement time, that, that was a very serious thing. It was treated as adultery. All right, even though they had not come together. Now, picture in your mind how Mary or Maria must have initially responded. Here's this young virgin woman. Tradition says that she was about 18 or 19 years old. So here's this young virgin woman, and the scriptures say there that the angel of the Lord came upon her. The word came upon literally refers to coming into the presence of it, maybe uh, entering into your home, uh, maybe even entering into your thoughts, but obviously it wasn't just in her thoughts here. But the angel came upon her, came suddenly in her presence. And she was terrified. And rightfully so. I mean, if an angel appeared unto one of us like that, I mean, she, I don't know that the angel appeared was in, in shining white raiment or whatever and sparkling and dazzling and she says, whoa, you're blinding me, back off. I don't know that it was like that. Probably like many of the other angelic appearances in the Old Testament, it was just a, another appearance of a person. They didn't look any different than any other person. But for even that, Here's this woman, she's just quietly doing her thing. Well, you know, maybe she was out in the garden, maybe she was in her room, whatever it was, and all of a sudden there's a man standing there she's never seen before. What a startling thing. No wonder she was scared. And then when he says to her the things he said, she was even more startled and more amazed because the things that were being spoken here were very startling words. You know, his words were... Thrilling on the one hand, but they were astonishing and fearful on the other hand. For him to say, Mary, you're going to have a baby. And she's thinking, uh, something's wrong here. I've never known a man. I'm not going to have a baby. What are you talking about? And he says, you're going to have a baby. And that was a, a shameful thing in their day. You know, today it's like nobody makes any big deal about it anymore. That's sad. But in that day, to have a child out of wedlock was very, very serious, very, very shameful. And it was very 
more than just shameful, as we'll see, is, is how Joseph responds here. It, it was a tr- tremendously uh, bad thing. Now, notice her response in verse number 34. How shall this be, seeing that I know not a man? That was her immediate response to the angel when he says, you're going to have a child. And she says, I don't understand. How can that possibly be? And then Gabriel explained in verses 35 to 37, he said that the Holy Spirit would come upon her, and the power of the Most High would overshadow her, and the Holy One gendered in her would be the Son of God. That's amazing. The virgin's conception was a miracle from heaven. She was the mother in all physical senses. But God placed the male part in her, I guess you'd say. And she conceived. And here, Mary now is going to have a child. And she is astonished by the news. Scripture does not tell us when she told anybody this. But no doubt it was a a fearful thing to recognize that this was taking place. On the one hand, yes, excited to think, I'm the one that's going to have the Messiah. But on the other hand, the thought of all the disgrace that they would have to face in the days to come. Verse number 37 was a verse that she probably clung to many times. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. No doubt she clung to that promise. Because it was a hard thing to comprehend. When did she tell Joseph of this? The Bible doesn't tell us. But perhaps it was not until after she got back from her trip As soon as she found out that she was expecting the Christ child, what did she do? She immediately went to see her her cousin Elizabeth. Now Elizabeth lived down in the in the south toward uh, Hebron area, right? So she traveled all the way down by herself. Apparently, not a very safe thing to do. But she's young and energetic, and so she she goes down to see her cousin Elizabeth and spends three months with cousin Elizabeth. So just about the time John the Baptist was born, Mary's three months pregnant now. She's headed back north to, to uh, Nazareth. Sometime in this, all right, probably now while she's there, perhaps not before she left, maybe she did tell Joseph and then left. I don't know. We don't know when. But somehow, the, probably the most fearful thing she had to do was to tell Joseph what took place. Because for Joseph to believe that, come on now, I, I, I know, that just doesn't happen. You're telling me you're expecting a baby and you're trying to get me to believe that somehow you didn't know a man and it all just happened and God sent an angel. And Joseph's all troubled about this, and rightfully so. And it, this was a very troubling time. And she knew that Joseph could legally end their engagement And he could even require her execution. The Old Testament scriptures clearly state that in a situation like this, that if a woman was engaged to be married and she became pregnant by somebody else, 
she was to be put to death. And so the execution could have taken place. This was not a, a small issue with Mary. It was a big issue. Probably the most difficult thing she ever had to do in her life is to tell Joseph what had taken place. And it's good for us to just put in our minds, you know, put yourself back in the situation. Think of how you would have felt if you were that one. If you were Mary sitting there and all this came upon you and all these, and then you had to try to tell everybody and explain it to everybody and they're all going to say, yeah, right, yeah, right. Nobody's going to believe that story. Even when Jesus was born. Remember when his critics really got fired up at him when they couldn't think of anything else to say and they, they said, You've been born of fornication. You're trying to tell us what to do. Uh, See, news had not died out in 30-some years. They still figured he was born of fornication. So, it was a shameful time. It was a shameful thing and a fearful thing. Then I want us to notice the affirmation given to Joseph regarding the virgin birth in Matthew chapter 1. All right, turn back a couple books, Matthew chapter 1. And notice how Joseph responds to all this. Verse number 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together. She was found with a child with the Holy Ghost and Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make a public example of her, was minded to put her away privately. All right, so what he's saying here is he didn't want to publicly shame her or execute her. He wanted to put her away privately. He was going to divorce her privately, and divorce was permissible during the engagement period. And he says, I'm going to, I, I don't want to, but I'm, I'm, I don't know if any other choice. I'm going to have to put her away. That's, I, I can't marry a woman that's pregnant with somebody else's baby. I, I just can't do that. And then in verse number Twenty. And while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by the prophet saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, raising, raised from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him Mary his wife. Now, let's just think through what take, took place here. God sent an angel to Joseph to affirm in his mind that Mary was telling him the truth. You know, this whole time, up to this point, Joseph's saying, I love that woman, and I don't think she'd lie to me. But her story doesn't add up. And I got no choice. I guess I'm going to have to get rid of her. Break our engagement. All of our dreams, our plans, our our, our ambitions, I've been saving up, I've been preparing, we're, we're expecting to, this, to yeah, live happily ever after, and now it's all going to be shattered. Joseph was crushed by all this. This was not an easy thing for Joseph. It seemed impossible to be true. 
And yet the angel says, Mary is telling you the truth. She did conceive by a divine act. She was telling the truth and that the child is God in human flesh. And she is still a virgin. As amazing as that can be, she is still a virgin, Joseph. And the revelation to Joseph turned his life around more radically than Mary's confession. I mean, when Mary first told him, she said, sweetheart, I got something bad, maybe not bad, but something troubling to tell you. And she tells him this, and he goes, I can't believe it. How could you do this? What can you... Yes, but no, you don't understand, Joseph. It wasn't, it wasn't like you think. God did this, not... He says, oh, Mary, that's hard for me to believe. And then, now, the angel tells him, Joseph, it's true. Mary was telling you the truth. And now, his life is radically changed. Because God says, I want you to not fear, to take unto you Mary, your wife. God says, marry her right away. Don't put it off any longer. Just have a wedding and marry her and take the shame that will come with that. Now, for him to marry her was a very, very shameful thing in the sense that he was going to have to bear the shame of this because everybody knew she's three months pregnant. They aren't married. They just now get married. They get married suddenly. And everybody's talking, saying, yep, Joseph and Mary were messing around. And, you know, and, and, and they'd say, no, you don't understand. It was a miracle from God. Yeah, right, yeah, right. Nobody's going to believe that story. But they knew, and Joseph knew, Mary knew. This was a shameful thing. And for him to do to take her as his wife, God says, I want you to, to marry her right away, take her to be your wife, and be willing to share the shame and carry the burden of all this with her. And be the one to be the father to that child and care for that child. A big responsibility. But then we see the protection of the virgin birth. And again, this should not be overlooked as it's, it's miraculous, really, in, a, in many senses of the word. Maybe miraculous is a little extreme, but it's, you can see here. Verse number 25. And Joseph knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. For those next six months, Joseph protected her. And did not sleep with her, though she was his wife, though he took care of her. They were legally married now. They lived together, but he protected her. Why? To protect the virgin birth. Now, once she's expecting a baby, she can't get more pregnant than she's pregnant. But God said to make sure that it's crystal clear, he did not sleep with her until after Jesus was born. God's protection was over this to help them and strengthen them and to make sure that they understood this was a miracle child from God. You know, to dispel the false teaching that some churches have that Mary remained a virgin in the rest of her life. <laughs> I don't know how, like, how they come up with that idea. All you got to do is read the Bible. But Matthew and um, Mark both 
clearly states, as I read here in Mark 6, verse 3, the critics were talking about Jesus. It says, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Jesus had at least six half-siblings. At least six. If it's plural sisters, it had to be at least two. Might have been more. So he had at least four brothers and at least two sisters. There were half-brothers half and sisters. So Mary was not a virgin the rest of her life. She was a virgin until her birth. Then Joseph and Mary carried on normal married relationship for the rest of their time together. But then I want us to take a look more closely at the virgin birth. Back to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Luke gives us the most detailed account of the birth of Christ than any of the other Gospels. And here in Luke chapter 2, we see right away in the first verse that God orchestrated a census to take place. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be taxed. The taxation was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And they all went to be taxed, every one to his own city. This was more of a, a census rather than they didn't have to go to their city to pay a tax necessarily. It was a, it was a, a time of registering your names. It may have had to do with paying taxes, but it was, it was a census that was taking place. And therefore, they were required to go. And there's big debate among Bible scholars as to whether Mary was required to go or not, being a woman. But she's nine months pregnant. The census comes on. Joseph's required by law. He must go to Bethlehem where his family was from. He doesn't have a choice. So Mary, she had, she had to make a choice, assuming that she was not required to go. She had to make a choice. Am I going to stay here by myself while Joseph travels down there? I'm nine months pregnant, expecting the baby at any moment, and, and, now we got, and he's going to be gone, or am I going to go with him? She says, no, I'm going to go with him. And so she traveled that distance down there. Now, for the Jews that lived in Galilee, Samaria, the central portion here, was a despised area. And the reason the Samaria it was despised is remember the, back in the days of, of um, King Solomon, King Solomon introduced idolatry to the nation. And there was a lot of idol worship that came in. And his son Rehoboam was a rebel and turned against the Lord. And, and as a result, the nation was divided in half. And the northern tribes, north of this, all the northern tribes went into captivity. Uh, well, sorry, the northern tribes became, they left, they broke away from Judah, and uh, Rehoboam had the bottom, the two tribes down here, and Jeroboam, another guy, had the northern tribes. And they, they lasted for a number of years, and then the northern tribes went into captivity into Assyria. All right? And the Assyrians, you don't just take everybody out of the country and leave it empty because then it gets overrun by animals and nobody takes care of the property and everything falls to pieces. So they brought a bunch of us people from other nations that they conquered and brought them down into Samaria to f- populate the land. 
and the few Jews, the poor of the land, were still there, eventually intermarried with these pagans from all over the place, and they became known as the Samaritans. And so the true blue Jews didn't like the Samaritans because they were half-breeds. And so they despised the Samaritans. So most of the time when people would travel from Galilee area to Jerusalem, they would cross the Jordan River, go down this side, and go back in this way. Makes the trip a lot longer, but they were so prejudiced they didn't want to go through Samaria. Now, whether Joseph and Mary went through Samaria or not, we don't know. We don't know. But they probably traveled with a, a caravan of other people that were headed down south. Everybody had to do it. There's a t- taxation. So they were traveling with family and friends and others. And, and then perhaps Joseph, poor as they were, maybe he had a donkey. Maybe he borrowed a donkey for her to ride. I don't know. Maybe they walked. That's a long way to walk. You know what I mean? When you think about this, now I say long way. Now it's good for us to see this. If you were to take the map of, of Perth, Perth is laid out much like this. All right? If you laid the map of Perth on top of the map of Israel, Yanchip would be up about here, and Rockingham would be about down to here. That's the size of this nation. All right? It's basically the size of Yanchip to Rockingham, the nation of Israel. And so it's not that huge, but, I mean, if you're, you're, you're walking from, you know, even like the... From Jundalap, if you were going to walk to uh, South Perth, uh, that's still a pretty good walk. <laughs> All right? All right. And so traveling as they did, it was not an easy t- journey. And uh, traveling down there, um, it would have taken two, three days at least. And in her condition, maybe longer, uh, going very slowly. And, uh, you know, trying to take care of the babe and everything and all the situation there, it was not an easy thing to tr- make that journey down there. And, but they traveled down there, and the Lord is with them. And we find that uh, as, as they get there, we read in, in verse number, here in Luke chapter 2 again, um, in verse number 6, and so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. You know, oftentimes, maybe it's just my mind, maybe it's not yours, but often I, I would think, you know, they just got there, just got there, quick, find a place to sleep, and that night the baby's born. Well, it doesn't really sound that way. While they were there, she gave birth to the child. They could have been there a week. They could have been there a month. I don't know how long they had to stay. We don't know how long they had to stay. But while they were there, the Christ child was born. And we see here in verse number 7, and she brought forth her firstborn son. Now, why would John put that in there? Why would John put in the firstborn son? Well, I think it's again to emphasize the virgin birth here. This was, she was a virgin, it's her firstborn son. It's not, you know, it's not her thirdborn son. It's her first one she's had. And her firstborn son wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Bethlehem was full of people, people from all over the nation. Bethlehem was a popular town. That's where their roots were, and they're all coming back to their hometown for this census. All the inns were full. Joseph was poor. How do you know he was poor? Well, when they went, after the Christ child was born, one of the things that they had to do as part of their purification ceremonies 
is they would have to offer a, a lamb for a sacrifice for when the child was so old, you know, just a little tiny baby, part of the purification sacrifices. And if they didn't have the ability to offer a lamb, then they could offer a, a, a couple little birds, pigeons or turtle doves. And that's what they offered. Joseph and Mary were dirt poor. They didn't have much. Now, he was a carpenter. Carpenter was a good occupation. It wasn't a bad occupation. But he wasn't a rich man. He was a poor man. And probably all the hard circumstances that were around them made things difficult. You know, people probably shunned them somewhat because of their situation. It was, it was a difficult thing. But then, while they're there, God announces Christ's birth to the heavenly course. And to the, and to the shepherds. Right? And here we see in verse number 8, and the, there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, watching over their flock by night, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Right? So God announced to these shepherds, the lowly farmers out in the field. He says, a child was born. A Savior was born. You need to go see him. And so they get to go and see the Christ child. And on that grand night, God sent the entire angelic host to worship the Christ child. Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 6 is a verse that you maybe even put a footnote in your Bible there in Luke 2. But Hebrews 1, 6 says, And again, when, they brought, uh, bringeth forth, bring, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let the, all the angels of God worship him. All the angels of God worship him. Now just imagine, you know, when the shepherds were there, they, and we read down in verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. A multitude of angels. The whole heavenly host. All the multitudes of angels. How many angels are in heaven? I don't know, but there's millions of them. And they all came to worship Christ. It must have been a magnificent scene. This is the sky lit up with the angels. And they were all, oh, I say sing. It doesn't say sing. They probably did sing, but it doesn't say they sang. But they, they were there, and they were praising God, and they were worshiping the Christ child. So as we think about Christmas, if we were to, if we were to come up with one word, is that, as I was pondering this on my walk, and Melody and I discussed it at breakfast time this morning, you know, and people say, Merry Christmas, and I'm thinking, that just doesn't seem right. I mean, I know we all say that, and we don't say it in a bad sense. But it isn't a party time. It's a time of worshiping the Savior. It's a time of worshiping Him. And somehow, you know, we need to have our focus on that. And throughout the day today, of worshiping the Savior, Jesus Christ was born that He might die for our sin. And I'm not saying you're sinful if you say Merry Christmas. I've said it lots of times, you know, but I'm just saying we need to think, all right? We need to think about that. It's not just about having a happy, merry time. It's about 
worshiping the Lord God of heaven who came to die for us. And as we focus lastly on the necessity of the virgin birth, Christ's birth was necessary for the credibility of the Bible. If Christ had not been born as a virgin, the Bible would not be credible because the Bible had predicted it. Isaiah had predicted that he would be virgin born. And if that doesn't come true, then God said if one, if a prophet says something and it doesn't come true, that prophet was a liar. And so the credibility of the Bible, if you can't believe that, then you don't know what you can believe in the Bible. So the necessity of the virgin birth was very important. Christ's virgin birth was necessary for him to become a man. If Joseph was his father, then he could not be God. And if Joseph and Mary were not his parents, then he wasn't a human. And all of the Christophanies, when he came in the Old Testament, they were not human even though they looked human. They were not human. But now, Christ was born of a woman, so he was the God-man and human so that he could pay the debt of our sin. The virgin birth is absolutely essential. Christ's virgin birth was necessary for him to be sinless. And I don't fully understand this. But somehow, when Mary conceived, she did not conceive of a human and therefore she did not pass on the human sinful nature to Christ. Now, does that mean that the sinful nature comes through the male and not the female? I don't know. You ladies would like to think so, maybe. Uh, I don't know. But all I can say is that she, when she conceived, Christ did not get the sinful human nature. But yet he was a human because he received genes from his mother. A lot of things we don't fully understand, but the virgin birth was essential for Christ to be sinless. And it was essential then for him to be the spotless Lamb of God. If he wasn't sinless, he couldn't be the spotless Lamb of God. And if he wasn't the spotless Lamb of God, then he couldn't die on the cross and pay the debt of our sin. And we're left lost to die and pay for our own sin. Christ's virgin birth was necessary for him to raise to life again and to give us eternal life. If Christ was not the virgin born, if he was not God in human flesh, then he, when he died, he just died. And he wouldn't be able to raise again to life again. And if Christ did not raise, then we won't raise again either. And we're all going to, when you die, you're dead, and that's the end of the story. And that's what most people in our world seem to believe, that when you die, that's, all, you know, that's the end of the story. So you might as well have a good time while you're here and enjoy it while you can. But that's not what scriptures tell us, and that's not what our conscience tells us either. Our conscience tells us that there's something beyond all this, and that God has something special for us, and Jesus Christ came that he might give us life. Thus Christ, if he was not the virgin-born Son of God, we have no hope of forgiveness. We have no hope of 
eternal life. We're doomed. But praise God, He is virgin born. Praise God that He was God in human flesh. And we can be forgiven and receive eternal life through the payment Christ made for us. Folks, that's what Christmas is all about. Yes, Christmas is about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and worshiping Him and rejoicing in Him. But the reason He came, as we've emphasized this month, that He was born to die. He was born for me. He was born for you to give us eternal life. And He offers it to us individually. You know, if we could be saved and on our way to heaven because we grew up in a nice home, then Christ didn't need to come to this earth. If we could be saved and go to heaven because we're religious, then Christ didn't need to come to this earth. We could just have some religious ceremonies and that would be all we need. But we can't be saved that way. We can't ever since we're given that way. Salvation is only through personal faith in Jesus Christ. It is not until I personally receive Christ. You know, I, I am privileged, and many of you didn't have the same privilege I did. My mom and dad knew Christ before I was born. And they were faithful Christian people when I was conceived and born. And so all I've known is being in a Christian home. But my Christian parents didn't save my soul. My Christian parents didn't determine my destiny. Oh, yes, I'm grateful for it because many people that didn't have Christian parents, their kids grew up in homes. They grew up in homes where God is cursed and they want nothing to do with God and they don't even entertain the thoughts of God. And Christmas means nothing to them but a, a time of gambling and drinking and partying. And they don't even think about Jesus Christ. And I'm grateful to have a Christian home, but my Christian home didn't save my soul. It wasn't until one day when I came to realize that I was lost and I needed a Savior and I cried out to Him to save my soul. That's when He saved my soul. And that's what each of us need. And so if you've never done that, I challenge you to do that. This is what Christ, Christmas is all about. Christ came to die for my sin and for your sin to give us eternal life. That is a wonderful truth. But we've got to receive it. Just as a gift. Many of you received Christmas gifts today or will later on today. And as you receive that gift from somebody else, if you said, I don't like your gift, I don't want it. It's not yours. But if you take it and receive it, it's yours. Same with God. God offers you the gift of eternal life, the most priceless Christmas gift ever given. And he says, will you take it? If you will, it's yours. If you'll humble yourself and admit that you're a sinner and you need me to save your soul and you receive me, I will give you eternal life. But if you turn it down, God says, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I can't help you. And so this morning as we think about these things, there's two questions that we really need to answer. And the first question is, is have you humbly admitted your need for Christ's forgiveness and eternal life and personally ask Him to pay for your debt of sin? If you've never done that, you need to do that today. I urge you to do that today. And if you have received Christ as your Savior, and He has cleansed your soul and given you eternal life, have you thanked Him today? 
Have you spent time today thanking him and saying, Lord, thank you for coming to this earth for me. Thank you. If you haven't done that, you need to. That's what Christmas is all about. Worshiping the Lord and thanking him for what he's done for us.